Right. Welcome back. I'm going to welcome myself back. This is episode 105 of the Guru Performance We Do Science podcast. And uh, my, uh, my guest, I'm almost going to say the, uh, the guest of this inaugural new series is uh, Professor Craig Sale. Hey, Craig, how you doing? Hello, thanks for inviting me back. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we're both, I think we've both been invited back here. It's, um, uh, as we were just discussing off, off air, so to speak, that it's um, a year and a quarter since I last recorded an episode. I can't believe it. But it's been busy. We've all been busy. Um, I've, um, as most people will, will know that have followed my, what I do uh, this past year and a bit, I finished my doctorate. And thank you so much, Craig, for your uh, involvement in that in that process. I have to say, you know, when people do embark on that sort of thing, it is particularly important you surround yourself with the right people. And um, obviously, I highly valued your your input in that. Um, and uh, I was at the World Cup, and um, yeah, it's just it's just been really really busy. So I didn't because we're so close to Christmas. Um, I didn't want to get. Uh, too much into the heavy rocket science I've got an amazing list of, of experts lined up over the coming year I'm, I'm, I'm going to be doing uh, one to two podcasts every month at least um, for about uh, well I've got them all planned up for the next eight nine months so um, I'm, I'm really excited to get back into this but today I wanted to touch upon um, the concept of um, to supplement or not to supplement. And the reason why I wanted to get into this is not just because it's such a massive thing in uh, sports nutrition, sports science, in fact, just for general health and well-being, it, it's topical to everyone. Um, also, uh, you recently gave a presentation to our <coughs> students on the Guru Performance Program recently on this topic, and there were some really important points that came up that that links with my overall goal, which is is trying to translate science to practice, um, to support evidence-based practice. So um, um, just in case, we've got some new listeners, Craig, and um, some of them may not be aware who you are. If you could just, just give us that two seconds overview and then we'll get cracking. Yeah, so well, first of all, thanks for for inviting me back, like I said earlier, and congratulations on the DPROF. It's a fantastic document and, and a big achievement, so congratulations to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm uh, Professor Craig Sale. I'm a professor of uh, human physiology at Nottingham Trent University, and I'm the director of the Sport Health and Performance Enhancement Research Centre here. Brilliant. And, you know, I, I mean, obviously, we've, we've known each other quite some time. I've heard you lecture a lot, and uh, we've interviewed you in the past over um, numerous topics. Um, one of the areas you're particularly well known for, of course, is um, buffering agents, um, things like beta alanine. And um, also, you've done a lot of work as it relates to bone health, particularly in, in the athlete population. And I guess we, we may link some of this discussion today in that. Um, but of course, buffering agents is something that does link to, to supplements. But I mean, what, what, you know, where, where, where does historically, where has your interest in supplements uh, come from as a, you know, as a researcher? You know, what, why, why, why has supplements sort of piqued your interest? I always had a, an interest in sports nutrition right the way back to, to being an undergraduate. And obviously a big part of that, you know, was supplements historically going back to sort of the early 90s and through. Um, but my PhD was actually more related to blood hemostasis. So how exercise and alcohol consumption influences the way in which the, the, the blood clots and dissolutes the clot. Um, and it wasn't really then until I moved from Liverpool, John Moores, where I was just completing my PhD to the University of Chichester, um, where I started to get a real interest in the, in the buffering agents. So that's the sort of first time that I really started to research in the area of sports supplements. So um, it was because I went there, there was no equipment to, to carry on the research that I was doing for my PhD. Um, and I happened to bump into Professor Roger Harris, who is obviously extremely well known in, in the supplement area, particularly around creatine and, and more latterly carnosine and, and beta alanine, of course. Um, and it was really an invitation for, from him to get involved in the, the carnosine and beta alanine research that, that he, he was doing in his lab um, that sparked that sort of direct research interest. 
Um, and obviously in conversations with Roger, we then expand that out to creatine, sodium bicarbonate and, and other things. Um, but I mean, the interest has always been there, but the specific research in the area sort of started in the maybe around 2000, 2001 with that kind of introduction to Roger. Yeah. I, you know, it, it, I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you only have to, just as a layperson or anyone, you just go down the average high street. Uh, for any listener, I, I would say it's pretty much anywhere on the planet. You go into the high street, there's going to be some sort of shop that is either dedicated to sort of health and nutrition or indeed sports nutrition, or a section of a supermarket will have an aisle that will be filled with numerous supplements. And there's just no question that it is a billion dollar, billion you know, I mean, it's of an enormous scope. Um, but, of, but, but of course, we have to ask ourselves how, you know, how you know, does, does the size of the, the, the sort of the financial side of this business match the, you know, the evidence? And that's one of the things that we're going to explore in this, in this uh, discussion today. But I think, you know, I think this, this, this is worthy of a few supplements, uh, sorry, a few uh, definitions uh, so that we're absolutely clear what sort of conversation we're having. So perhaps you could, let's, let's differentiate what we mean by the term supplement and what we mean by, um, uh, well, the various other terms that relate to supplement like ergogenic aid, for example. Um, you know, what actually is a supplement, Craig? Well, supplement in its, its most straightforward form is exactly as the name suggests. It's something that you use to supplement what you would take in in the normal diet. So um, it's, it's normally something that's, if you, if you like, additional to um, you know, what, what the dietary intake of an individual may be. It could be used to, for example, um, correct a, a health-related deficiency, or it could be used for a specific purpose. So the common ones are obviously to improve performance, which is which is one that you know we're all interested in. Um, to build muscle, so in, in in terms of trying to add size and strength, or to decrease body fat, for example. So there, sort of four main reasons, if you like, why people might use those supplements. But but essentially, the supplement is just that kind of an additional um, an additional thing to the to the intake of the normal the normal diet. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if you if you look around, there are definitions um, to describe what that term means, and of course, they come in various sort of strengths of uh, quality, whether it's just some random thing on the internet or a dictionary or Wikipedia type, you know, terminology, or indeed, I think the one that that we want to stick with um, and bring attention to, for example, would be the one that that we see in the latest IOC consensus statement um and of course you know we can reduce it to that that concept of it you know it's something that we add to the diet but something that the um the the the, the ioc statement makes a strong point at you know and this would be more than burke of course um that we forget to question whether the healthy whether the diet itself is healthy because of course we're adding to the diet but whether or not the diet is healthy or not is a big question because that will influence whether or not that supplement um, is relevant or not to a certain extent. I mean, if we just focus on that briefly, uh, in terms of adding to an existing diet, the, you know, the relevance of the quality of the individual's diet is going to play a role, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is, you know, an absolutely critical concept here is that anybody who's anybody will tell you that you start with a food first approach. So if you can correct something by making improvements to the diet, that is without any question whatsoever, the first place to start. And, and yes, before you even remotely consider supplements, you should consider, can you optimize, improve an individual's diet? I mean, most individuals probably don't even need supplements because they haven't optimized their, well, it goes beyond the diet, but they haven't optimized their diet, they haven't optimized their training, and they haven't optimized their recovery. So until you've done those three things, I, I don't think there's any real requirement Great. to focus on, on supplements. Yeah. Yeah, and we're gonna we'll, we'll we'll dive into there's some various doors we need to open on that conversation in a minute, I think. But um, I mean, why 
you know, if we just, well, think about, I think if we think about this, there is a lot of, there are a lot of things in real food that have yet to be identified by scientists. Um, and there are going to be various reasons for that, um, which would include perhaps we still don't have the technology yet to identify everything that's found in food. Um, but also there's an obsession with certain things, you know, and if you, if you, if you look at sports nutrition, the obsessions are, you know, things like protein, amino acids, certain components, which we'll get into in a minute that may or may not have evidence to, to back their support. But these are all are, all are at the expense of these things that we get from real food that we have yet to identify. And of course, that is how we acquire these things. And the body manages those things itself um, to you know, uh, support the, the, the basic health functions of the body, which, um, you know, brings us to a whole realm of potential problems. If we get that, that focus wrong by obsessing over supplements, um, instead of food. Um, but, but why, you know, why, why are we so obsessed with supplements, Craig, and not food, you think? Yeah, it's a really difficult question to, to answer. Um, I think the first answer, and, and, and in my opinion, one of the biggest, is simply because um, it's seen as a much easier fix. You know, the, the diet is is potentially much more difficult to to adapt. You know, it's if we could adapt the diet and behaviour change, long term behaviour change was simple, then we wouldn't necessarily have problems like um, you know, or, or as big a problem we have with diabetes and obesity, etc. Um, so, so adapting the diet, trying to get people to eat things that they don't really necessarily like because it provides the optimum um, nutrition is, is, is very, very difficult. And a, and a supplement is seen as a, as a quick and easy fix. Yeah. Um, but there are a number of other possibilities as well, I guess. So things like, well, you know, maybe someone takes it because others are and others say it works or, or because, um, you know, if you think of it in the athletic context, maybe other athletes are, and you're worried that they're going to get the performance edge on you if you don't take the same supplement. So you take it. Um, That's an important one though, Craig. I've, I've explored that in the past. Uh, Again, if we're overly scientific about stuff and we're going, well, I'm evidence-based, you know, and I'm a big fan of evidence-based practice, but sometimes we have to look at the bigger picture. And I think you make an important point. I've certainly had this in team settings where particularly earlier on in my career, I, I, you know, I have looked at players taking supplements and I've gone, right, that's utterly useless. Uh, sort of, you know, I'll ambassed them about it and say, that's just silly. You shouldn't be taking that. And of course you start to see them, you know, I'm attacking their religion or their belief system. And that actually has a negative impact on their ability to buy into the rest of my advice. You know, how dare, how dare I, they believe in this stuff. But, but as you say, if you take something away, and if it's not harmful, the psychological impact, you know, the placebo, nocebo conversation starts to come up. And I've, I've done podcasts on, on that before. But I think we, it's worth just focusing on that for a minute because um, I think it's important. Uh, and, we, you know, by the end of this podcast, it'll be absolutely clear one needs to have an evidence-based view on this. Uh, we will briefly talk about the decision you know, uh, making uh, a process that you need to have with this. But we also need to bear in mind that the prevalence of supplements is so strong that it does have a psychological impact, particularly in a community or or team setting. How how important do you feel that is? Yeah, I think it's a massive effect. The belief effect is, or the placebo effect, whichever route you want to go down is, is a massive effect. I mean, it's called an effect for a reason and that is it has an effect. And I think you can probably, I think you can probably get a reasonably similar um, effect using kind of the the belief, the placebo effect as you can in, in terms of what the true supplement would deliver oftentimes. Um, And I think you're right. What most people don't really consider is, what the the negative effect of taking that belief away might be um so sure i mean i think you know another reason why athletes may be convinced to take a supplement over not take it is because you know well it's unlikely to hurt me it's there's a chance it might work and and or my athlete or myself believe it works so i'm gonna take it you know that's really common (laughs) 
It's a really difficult one. I mean, I, you know, that has to be put into, uh, I'll, I'll come out and use context straight away. So, it, you know, we, it has to be in the context of where you are at that place and time. And the practitioner needs to be that independent, rational thinking agent. Um, you know, my, and my favorite thought process is you can, but should you? You know, you, 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 that needs a bit of thinking uh, rather than just a robotic process. But if we, we mentioned beliefs, and I, I know we've got various things we're going to get into, but just some of the, the, the common beliefs that I'm aware of are that some supplements are deemed to be more effective than a healthy diet by some people. Um, supplements can provide a quick fix, whereas the positive effects of a balanced diet may take a long time. That, that's obviously relevant to elite athletes who are coming up to some sort of an event or competition relatively soon. They're, they're quite willing to go for the quick fix. Um, some believe the diet may already be balanced um, and healthy. Therefore, the next thing to address is supplements. Um, and they might hear that more from a sort of a generalized public information group announcement sort of stuff um, on the internet, government guidelines, but that may not be rel relevant to them specifically. The diet is unbalanced anyway the alternative view and therefore supplements need to compensate for this like a sort of an insurance policy. Uh, actually I used to subscribe to that concept, uh, in the past. Um, I'm not saying that's right at all. That's just what I, I used to believe. Um, and it is believed that the diet may be unbalanced and therefore, um, supplements are absolutely necessary and are, um, you know, added to, to foods in the, uh, you know, uh, mandated by, by governments. Um, so it, it, it's a complicated one. Um, but in terms of, if I ask you a simple question, Craig, do sport, well, do supplements work? Let's leave it at that. How, how do you answer that? I answer it as no, they absolutely don't work. Um, but I also say you're asking the wrong question. Um, because there is absolutely no supplement whatsoever that can um, influence positively all things that you might be looking at. So, so there are specific ways in which each supplement may or may not work. And obviously, you have to concentrate, first of all, on the, the context in which the supplement is likely to work, i.e. what is the underpinning mechanism of that supplement that, that means that it, it might work in, in, in a certain way. Um, and then you have to determine if it does or doesn't work in a certain way and whether it does or doesn't work in, in a certain way in a certain situation for a certain individual. So it gets even more complicated, really, when you bring it down to the individual efficacy level. Um, but, but no, if, if it's just a general question, and I get asked that all the time, I, I always say no, it, the supplements don't work. Um, yeah. And that's why we ask more specific questions. Yeah don't we? We need to contextualize this further and, and get a bit more information to be in a position to answer that, that question. So look, if we, if we look at, you know, there's, there are so many different types of supplements out there. We don't have the time to get into everything that relates to, to supplements, but you know, we're, we're interested in sports nutrition, performance nutrition in particular, just, just what, what are the main areas then that, that supplements, um, you know, are being looked at? Um, you know, for consumption and um, particularly where, you know, where, where are researchers now starting to look if we start moving a little bit closer now to the evidence-based perspective? I mean, I guess it's those sort of, you know, sort of four reasons that I broadly mentioned before, in my opinion, and I think others could come up with different nuances here or maybe even one or two others. But I think there's, there's four main sort of areas in my view. So one is to improve health or corrected deficiency. And things, examples there are things like, you know, vitamin D, for example, is a common one in the last five to 10 years. Um, iron supplementation to improve iron status, particularly in female athletes, of course. Mm. Um, second one is to improve performance. And that's the really contentious one as to whether it can or it can't. And there are, you know, loads and loads of products out there, some with a, with a reasonable evidence base, some with no evidence base at all around that area. One we've already mentioned again is to, to build muscle, um, so so to add size and strength, and of course protein is the is the big um, is the big thing there. Mm. And the so, other one that's reasonably common is to try and decrease body fat. Um, 
that's that's the other one is to improve body composition and, and particularly to decrease body fat yeah so i, I mean th- th- there's some important areas there which i think warrant some attention so for example i mean there's health so you, you, you know, we, we, as I mentioned before, there were various beliefs. And if we contextualize it to individuals and we go, well, I mean, absolutely, athletes are human beings. And like anyone, they have likes and dislikes. There might be some pragmatic issues that relates to they can or cannot afford, you know, uh, certain foods. Uh, athletes are not all rich individuals. Uh, in fact, only a small selection of athletes um, would fit into that. Um, they come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Some of them, again, are, are human beings. Um, they might have health problems, digestive issues, malabsorption. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that, that's going on there. And, and um, that's where maybe there may be some, some sort of, you know, benefits or you might warrant things like multivitamins and so on and so forth. But, but, but of, of the sort of general health um, type supplements. There are one or two supplements, perhaps, that the evidence does strongly support pretty much in all scenarios. You know, are you do you have any thoughts on that? In terms of specific supplements, yeah, yeah. Like, well, I mean, I'll just come out and say, what, like vitamin D, for example, where there, you know, there is really good evidence, almost irrelevant of people's circumstances that we should. Well, I mean, I think you know, it stands to reason that if you've got a deficiency or an insufficiency in something, and, and we can we can say vitamin D there, um, then obviously correcting that insufficiency or deficiency is probably a, a good thing. Um, Sometimes the, the danger in, in particularly in relation to, to athletes, but also the general population as well, is that they then tend to take that to the extreme and they, they tend to sort of view it as, well, almost the more the better. Mm. So I've increased my, my circulating 25 OHD to, you know, uh, a reasonable level. But obviously, if I can get it more and more and more, that's got to be a good thing. And, and that is something that we need to be mindful of, because I think we're almost into a situation now where in certain athletic groups, over supplementation of vitamin D is is a bigger risk than, than none whatsoever. So in other words, having too high of a level is a bigger risk than, than having an insufficiency. Um, yeah. But certainly, if we start with the principle of trying to correct that deficiency or insufficiency, then then that does obviously make sense. And the ultimate way of doing that, of course, is to test. And um, for those of us that are working with athletes, that I mean, that is something. I, you know, it's not just in the realms of research that testing should occur. I believe um, in practice settings, and indeed, I myself will do that with my own athletes is we will ensure that we are testing for example for vitamin d it's it's a pretty easy thing to do there are of course good tests and bad tests i'll refer you back to previous podcasts like with professor graham close um and dan owens as well we've gotten into this in in the past um and i mean i can think back over the last few years alone i've i've come up indeed with many athletes that have been low but i've also found many athletes that have been too high. And in fact, one example comes to mind where um, an athlete was taking um, mega doses of, of vitamin D um, because they're, they're uh, I shall say no names here, but this is worth discussing. Um, the club nutritionist had recommended um, that they take a, um, uh, a, meg- a mega dose of vitamin D, but the message got, um, confused to the player and rather than taking it once a week this person was taking it every day um, which just shows you how careful you have to be when you give advice and he, he had toxic levels of vitamin D fortunately it hadn't affected his, his health but the point is it does happen so I think I think we could maybe I mean it's if if you don't know don't do it isn't it I mean it's always a food first thing um yeah exactly i mean there are there are of course you know vitamin d at times can be can be difficult um to to influence and circulating vitamin d levels can be difficult to influence via the diet um and there are other things iron can can be a tricky one as well particularly in in females of course um but you know i think yeah, you're right. If you don't know what the levels are, you don't know what your starting point are, it's difficult to really provide a proper, you know, a dosing strategy for that individual supplement to to correct that deficiency. So 
Yeah. I'm always going to say yes, test. But I mean, you know, I do appreciate that, you know, and I've said this so many times to, to different um, support staff and, and different athletes themselves. And, and it may well be that, you know, as you said earlier, that some sports don't have that level of money to really test. So then what do they do? That that makes it, you know, a, a trickier question. But But certainly the advice would be, you know, test levels, um, yeah. and, and you know, test, test your baseline levels, but also test after a reasonable period of your intervention to make sure that the strategy is, is working and isn't, isn't going too far the other way. Well, of course, and and the non the the, the easiest method of testing sometimes is just to ask and observe. Um, you know, a lot of athletes just don't eat well. I mean, that you know, if we if we go back to sort of the ASCA, you can do you know comparison you know uh, sort of the, the the upright and upside down pyramid approach of of um food you know which results in 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 needing to do a food first approach i don't think people truly understand just how important that is but also within sports nutrition the the the, the focus is too much on sports nutrition and not on actual nutrition um, because we're, you know, we, in sports nutrition, we, we tend to use phraseology such as macros, energy availability, um, leucine threshold, stuff like that. What we're not looking at is a balanced diet. And I appreciate that that in itself is a little bit complicated, but my experience of working with, with athletes is they, they don't eat a balanced diet. Um, they really don't for the most part. Um, and that's obviously where, we need to be focusing but going beyond that um um the one area that i think is of of interest is when people particularly in athlete settings um but also in the general population people who are obsessed with weight loss the huge popularity in physique competitions and so on you do get into that realm of um you know finding yourself in a reduced energy availability scenario where Athletes are in negative energy balance because they want to lose weight. So they're cutting their calories relative to their need. But they're not just cutting calories. They're also cutting essential nutrients from their food. Um, and to simply just take a multi ignores what I said at the beginning, of course, is that there are things in food that we haven't yet identified. Um, and that's I mean, if we look at some of your other areas of research, actually, like bone health, it'd be worth just mentioning there potentially that, you know, the impact is not just body fat loss or weight loss. It might go much deeper than that, of course. Yeah, no, exactly. So, I mean, I think, you know, when you're talking about the, the general diet under those circumstances and, and you say, yes, you, you, you cut, you're looking to cut the energy intake for a, for a specific reason, you're absolutely right. One of the, the easiest ways that people do that and, and this has been mirrored in the in the research quite often is that they'll just for example take what they normally take and cut that in half as that's a 50 percent you know reduction in in energy intake but yes that's that's also a 50 percent reduction in in macronutrient intake in micronutrient intake etc um and so you know absolutely that can have an effect it's, it's difficult then to know from a, from a study perspective, and let's take bone health as the outcome, it's difficult to really determine the effect of, of whether that's a reduction in, in energy availability or nutrient availability on, on bone health. Um, and undoubtedly, both things will have, uh, will ha will have an effect. Um, yeah. So yes, I think nutrient availability is something that's, that's very important to consider and, and just supplementing as well sometimes doesn't necessarily work because obviously just because you take something in doesn't mean to say that's becoming available to the to the tissue of interest so you know you've well, got so bioavailability issues and you've got you've got transport yeah. issues you've got storage issues so i'm pleased you mentioned that it was one of the areas that i was going to get into was this this you know just because you swallow a pill or drink something it doesn't mean that's what you're getting because there is a complex process involved. Um, um, I mean, just from a health perspective, you know, you, 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 things like vitamins A, D, E, and K does require some fat, you know, present um, to, to get that out of that. I, I think, I think that, that, that we, we, we should not be naive as to the importance of, 
of the general diet. But if we I, I, let's come back to that concept of bioavailability, because when people take a pill, let's say it's something like aspirin or you know ibuprofen, they sort of have this this need um, and belief that they take the pill and then boom, it's just going to have an effect. Um, and and like from I mean, almost everyone just assumes they take their aspirin, it's going to have a pain relieving effect, it's going to have an anti inflammatory effect. But that mindset needs to change when it comes to supplements, doesn't it? Because it's not having a pharmacological impact on the body necessarily. It, 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 it's, it's, it's playing a slightly different role, is it not, in terms of, of, of from ingestion to impact in terms of performance, for example? Well, yeah, I mean, I think as well you, you've got to consider that not every supplement's the same in terms of, of that either. So um, it depends on the mechanism underpinning a potential action of, of a particular supplement, and it also depends on, um, you know, what supplement you're talking about and where that the, the site of action of that supplement is. So, for example, even if you take buffering agents, if you take um, sodium bicarbonate, the idea is that you you want that to to get through the gut and into the bloodstream, and you want it to act in the bloodstream largely. So that's as far as you need to get it. Whereas if you take um, beta alanine, for example, well, that's again a little possibly a little bit more complicated because you want it to get through into the bloodstream. You then want it to be taken up into the muscle. You then want it to be um, synthesized into carnosine. Um, and it's the, the carnosine that's supposed to have the purported effect in, inside the muscle. So again, it depends on what supplement you're talking about, what mechanism of action you're relating that supplement intake to, and indeed what, what the tissue of interest really is. And so all of those factors do become... Um, you know, important in, in whether or not the, the supplement is efficacious and, and there may well even be individual differences in that. So, so just because a supplement does work in a particular individual doesn't mean to say it's going to work in, a, in another individual. And some of those reasons we've just talked about might explain some of those, some of those differences. Yeah. Well, okay. So th this is a particularly important area that we're getting into. Um, you know, as I say, they're, 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 you know, there's good, there's good reason to believe that taking something like aspirin is going to have the effect that you want it to, right? But, you know, that is also off the back of huge amounts of research with vast numbers of people over an incredibly long time. There's a rich evidence base, um, not to mention, you know, huge numbers of people, obviously, um, have interacted with, with, with those um, medications over many years. We know a lot about that. When it comes to supplements, it's a completely different story, though, isn't it? Number one, the level of evidence um, is on a radically different scale. Um, the quality of the evidence is on a totally different scale also. But I think one thing that really stood out from your presentation uh, a month ago Whereas also, what does the evidence actually look like in terms of, you know, the, the, the evidence that is for and against um, or supports um, and does not support so much the, 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 the you know, the, the benefits of certain supplements? If, if we can just draw upon that as well, because this does boil down to how we position the value of a supplement um, um, in our sort of critical thinking process, um, should we even bother with it? Because our belief in the use impact of these products is probably, well, we give it far too much rope, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So if you, if you look at, you know, what an evidence base really looks like, and, and the slide that I use is, is around beta alanine supplementation. And I use that simply because it's one of the things I know a bit more about. But um, if you look at it, just a, study to study level there are just as many studies if not studies that have shown results where beta alanine doesn't work compared to when it does work so you know if you just look at it purely on the number of studies you would say well take your choice you could go you could go well there are some studies that show that it, it works but you could equally point to just as many studies that show that it doesn't work and there may be some good reasons for that. Um, 
including things like, you know, the, the studies themselves are, are, are testing the boundaries of, of the mechanism. Um, there are debates between research groups as to the, me the actual mechanism by which it works anyway, um, which would point to different, you know, effects on, on, on different types of, of exercise performance. Well, also, so actually, sorry, also, what, what, one thing I think is worth just mentioning is, is being a researcher yourself, you, you know better than most, is um, there are many different types of studies using a variety of, of situations, um, which might be human studies, animal studies. Some of them, they're not even doing any studies, they're just using other people's studies to draw conclusions about whether something something works um, and uh, and of course there's a big difference between somebody who participates in a research study and maybe the person you're looking to give this supplement to i.e the difference between a student and an olympic athlete perhaps i mean these are some of the things that we should also be bearing in mind right yeah absolutely so you know that's what I was about to drill into there so if if you've if you've got a reason why theoretically they should work, i.e. that you think there is some evidence out there for the type of performance that you're looking at, then of course you need to also consider whether that evidence is from the same target group as the, the group you're interested in. Because you know, elite athletes are different. We know that. Um, if they were the same as everybody else, they wouldn't be elite athletes. So, so they are different. They do react differently. So, so is there even evidence for you know, a, a good efficacy in... In, in athlete populations, as an example, and, and the answer largely for most supplements is no, there isn't really. Mm. Um, and like I said, you know, thinking about, you know, what under what circumstances are, are any supplements likely to work, you know, link that to the mechanism. So in other words, what events are we talking about here? Are we talking about, you know, short-term high-intensity events? Are we talking about longer-term events? Are we talking about multi-component events? So all of these things are, are, are critical considerations in, in whether a supplement works or, or doesn't work. I mean, that's before you even get onto things of whether they're safe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. the other big thing as well is what is the reaction and interaction with other supplements? Because a lot of the time we, when we research a supplement, we research it as an individual single ingredient supplement. So we look at beta alanine, but in actual fact, if you look at the way where a lot of athletes would take supplements, they take multiple supplements across, across time. So it's, it's almost as well. What really the real question is, what is the re reaction and interaction with other supplements? And does that result in a, an overall benefit or, or not? Well, that, yeah. And of course the, the thinking is very reductionist, isn't it? Which is necessary for, for research and to get a glimpse into mechanisms and so on. But when we turn this into an applied perspective, it's way more complicated, which is why we're having this conversation of to supplement or not to supplement. And uh, sometimes, I mean, you know, that's going to boil down to you, you, you need to, you, well, you need, you need knowledge, obviously, and a bit of training and education in this. And um, that's why I like the decision-making decision -making matrix that, um, for example, Senna, have done uh, that uh, Professor Graham Close created. You've got a similar one by Burke and, and Morn in, the, in this latest IOC consensus statement uh, that helps with the decision making. But I think we also need to step back and go, well, you know, but the bigger picture is far more important here. I mean, for example, you know, w w when we're talking about performance, whether it's just somebody going to the gym or whether it's an elite athlete, you know, the, 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 the bigger issues here are going to be things like the training stimulus. Um, yeah. just overall energy balance, stuff like that. I mean, if we, if we, if we, if we did sort of a Google maps, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, satellite imagery of, of, of the bigger picture and where the supplements even fit into this, I doubt we'd even be able to see the supplements on the map, would we? Yeah, probably not. No. Um, and yeah, it's a billion dollar industry, you know, it's just crazy, isn't it? Um, so let's just quickly go i know we haven't got too much time left here uh have you got maybe maybe 10 10 minutes or so yeah that's all fine, right yeah. great so just the individual response um i think's important we, we talked about you know different types of studies 
even different laboratories. I mean, that's, that's an important one, isn't it? Just because something got published. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. In my career, over the time, you know, you have this belief that because it's published, it's got to be good. Well, that isn't necessarily the case. But also, there's huge variation, not just between, you know, study designs, but different laboratories, the use of statistics and so on, but also the individuals themselves. Maybe you could just quickly talk about the actual individual variations. Well, I think obviously this becomes interesting when, when you're talking about the, the individual athlete. And, and of course, you know, that's, let's face it, what, what really the, the athlete or the athletic world is, is interested in is, is it going to improve the performance of that particular athlete? And so I hear this quite a lot as well is, you know, P, P is less than 0.05, which is a threshold. We can argue about that, of course, but, but P is less than 0.05 as a threshold for significance means nothing in an Olympic final where you might have, and, and again, the example I use is the, is the finish to the women's triathlon at the London 2012 Olympics. We've got three athletes pretty much in a line. Yeah. Um, P is 0.05 is miles back, you know? So I think, you know, the, the, improving the performance of that individual is, is always something that really comes down to, to, to the, you know, the practitioner's desire, really. That's what they want to do. So they're not really bothered too much about the group response. They, they want to know, okay, what, but in this particular individual, will it improve performance? Yeah. And I, well, and the irony there is the, the vast majority of people that invest significant money on a daily basis into supplements are people that actually don't need them for the most part. Um, sure. And like you say, the elite athletes way, just micro marginal things that, that can, that can buy you that split second could well be the difference between podium and not. Um, but Ron Morns, I like the way he summarized, you know, the value of, of, uh, or of supplements. Perhaps you can, you can uh, uh, cite it um, better than me in terms of, you know, whether it works or banned and, and so on. Do you remember the... Uh, uh, yeah, so, well, I mean, you know, I've, I've heard sort of Ron say the, the same thing several times and he presents it slightly differently at different times. But he's got these sort of three rules and but it broadly boils down to if it works, it's probably banned. And if it isn't banned, it probably doesn't work. Um, yeah. With the third rule being there are some, some exceptions. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that is a pretty good, good way to think about, you know, supplements. I think, I think you've got to be, you've got to start from a, a cynical viewpoint in this area um, and, and then work from there, really work on what the efficacy is, whether that again be from the research, um, which is clearly where, where I would be focused. And, and again, um, sort of looking at that from, from the, you know, the group statistics, but also I recognize trying to, trying to bring out some, some, some information on the individual, which is extremely difficult from a research point of view, but um, sort of bringing that then back to, I suppose, you know, the, 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 the solid reasons, the solid rationales as to, as to why um, supplements would potentially influence an individual or not um, is, is critical and uh, you know like i said start from a cynical point of view and really sort of consider what the evidence of base and the efficacy of a supplement is and and don't go into it with a mindset that this is bound to work um even if somebody else has told you it's going to really work it on the individual level with your athlete i think is is the critical or your or your member of the general public if you want um whichever way your your practice is leaning but I think, you know, really working on the efficacy with that individual is, is something vitally important. Taking that from the evidence from research studies as much as you can. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, the, the fact that we're even able to have this conversation for 45 minutes and there's still no definite, you know, yes or no, because it, it does come down to context and so on. But there is a huge amount of thinking that needs to happen. And we've discussed you know, do, do you even need the supplement? Well, chances are you don't. I mean, you don't need the supplement. Um, and um, there might be scenarios that we've gotten into, like if you're engaging in an energy deficit, uh, a strategic energy deficit, there might be some compensations that you need to make, but that really needs a lot of thinking because um, 
there are health consequences for, for that over a long period of time. Um, but the, uh, ultimately, the sort of the pros and cons, it might be easy, it might be practical. Um, some products have some good evidence. There's quite a lot of good evidence for protein. Um, and that, you know, I've got lots of podcasts on this. The whole point of this conversation today was not to get into any specific supplement. Um, but the cons, there's so many cons. There's such little evidence, um, some of which is risky. And I think, I think the cost to benefit thing is particularly for athletes has to come down to is the risk of, uh, doping is the risk of, um, losing your career over this, you know, is it worth it? And, um, just cause we're at the end here really. I mean, if you could just briefly mention the, the, the real world importance of doping and the risks that supplements can have for that, it, you know, is something that we should be mindful of. Well, you know, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's a, there's a couple of things there. So, so the first thing that's also worth considering is, are you okay with supplements morally? Yeah. Um, you know, performance enhancement supplements, I mean, you know, are, are they, you know, here's a, here's a question to pose, but are they any fairer than, than, than taking pharmacological agents, you know, is, is taking creatine in the doses that you take it to improve performance any fairer than taking anabolic steroids in theory? Um, just a question <laughs> I'll yeah, leave out there. I'm not going to try and answer. Yeah. But in terms of safety, I think um, it's an important consideration because there are a number of extremely well-documented studies now that have shown that um, you can get contamination of your, your supplement and so that it's absolutely vital that if you're considering any supplement and you're going to at least you know, try a particular supplement, that you take it from a reputable source, which routinely tests for um, contamination of its supplements. And I think if you're working with anyone who's going to, to be tested, then I think you, you also want to basically be giving your athlete a, a tested batch, not just taking a supplement from a company that routinely tests for contamination, because I, I don't even think that's, well, nothing's hundred percent foolproof, but that certainly isn't. So I would, I would make sure that the particular batch that you're giving your athlete has been tested. Um, and so that then also sort of brings me on to another point, which is, which is safety of the supplement. So if you look at how many supplements have really had long-term information on side effects studied um it's pretty minor really so there are a few there are a few, quite a few supplements out there where the short-term side effects have been studied but not so much the long-term side effects and of course athletes don't just take supplements for a couple of weeks they they that's not how they they do it they take it you know over time and and so i, I do think we need more long-term side effects, long-term safety effects, um, data on, on, on every supplement pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also just to reverse that slightly, uh, it's not just the nasty stuff that could be in supplements. Actually for a lot of supplements, what, what's written on the label isn't even in the product. I, I remember, a, um, yes. a report that came out by New York state attorney general's office in February, 2015, where they found, and there's a lot of supplements we looked at, and they found that 80% of the products didn't even contain, in this case, the herbs that, that were on the label. Um, so yeah. quality is going to matter, and um, I'm, you know, where money's involved, that's where problems can come from, and that obviously brings us back to the, you know, just, just trust your food more than anything. Really. Well, I think that's also an important point for the research as well, because you know, the research is conducted on these supplements, and if, if they haven't... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. If they haven't independently confirmed that the ingredients conform to the label claims, then, well, how do you even know? So, you know, that's yeah. an important point for the research as well as for, for taking it, frankly. Yeah. yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's what we hope is that, you know, the questions that we're raising are not just for the end users, but it is also for the people that are engaged in the research. You know, are we, are we asking the right questions, as you pointed out, and uh, therefore the way in which we're answering these things, you know, how, how does that impact everyone involved? And it's quite clear that, that our obsession with supplements, um, it, 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 you know, has gotten out of control uh, relative to, to the bigger picture. But look, there's no, I mean, we could keep going on. There's loads of little rabbit holes. I know we could have gone down, but um, 
I, I think we've had a good chat um, about this. I hope the listeners have benefited. You know, the idea here is to add to the body of knowledge. Um, I will link to the various papers we've discussed and some other resources. Also at Guru Performance, we've produced a position stand ourselves um, on this very topic. And obviously, there's a bunch of podcasts I've done in the past. But um, Craig, um, just quickly, people, uh, you know, I, I, I think you're a good person to follow on things like social media and uh, your research on ResearchGate and so on. How do people access your information and uh, find out more about you and your work? Uh, yeah, well, so the, the first thing would be to just uh, to, to, to Google me under the, the Shape Research Center, and that will bring up my, my website, um, my, my NTU website information. Um, Twitter's normally a good one. Uh, I'm at sale underscore underline uh, X, EX nutrition, N-U-T. So at sale underscore X nut, basically. Um, yes, more of the nut. <laughs> more than, yeah, yes, yes. Some people would say much more of the nut. Um, but yeah, that's probably the, the easiest two ways. Um, um, you can also search for me on ResearchGate. I'm on ResearchGate. Research yeah, Gate. and I'll, like I say, in, in, on our website where I position this podcast and, and so on, I'll put all those links in there. So look, thank you very much, Craig, for your time. It's always a pleasure to have have these these conversations with you um you know we'll 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 have another chat in uh next year hopefully about buffering agents we'll get way more into the rocket science there um and uh, i would also recommend listeners listen to previous podcasts i've done with craig on things like um uh bone health and athletes Uh, we've done a a a semi uh amusing one all about context at one point um and we've also talked about buffering agents as well in the past but there are some worthy updates um this will be uh, the only podcast for 2018 <laughs> i know uh, but like i say in january early january um i've got a bunch of, of of podcasts including your better half uh craig uh dr kirsty elliott sell will be on and we'll be talking about um relative energy deficiency um, um, and that's in the first week, I think, of, of January. But lots of great guests come up. You can learn about Guru Performance at guruperformance.com and our various um, uh, outputs for current and aspiring performance nutritionists. That's our goal. Uh, we've got a whole new diploma program we're launching in January. More on that soon in performance nutrition as well as a, a CPD program for performance nutritionists. Um, and like I say, a whole new series of podcasts. I, of course, am Laurel Bannock. Um, and this has been We Do Science. And um, Merry Christmas to everyone. Thank you very much for listening.